It's Tracy. And I am back with another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. And I have, as always, Super Producer Alex with me. How are you doing, Alex? I love that name, Super Producer. Like you're, like you're trying to give me something to be proud of when the fact is I'm just like your, you know, puny sidekick. Well, you are a sidekick. <laughs> I'm, I'm Abe McMahon sitting on the couch next to you with a big stupid check in my hands to try to feel like I belong. <laughs> well, I, I, if we could come up with a better adjective for Alex, because he does make me sound fantastic and he makes the show really work, then uh, go ahead, send those in to us because we want to know. But so far, it's Super Producer Alex. That's what we got. Dorkasaur seems to be getting some traction. I can go with that one. You can just call me Dorkasaur. <laughs> well, I call you that every day anyway. We need something uh, positive and upbeat. So anyway, uh, today though- So wait, well, uh, shut up. Let's turn that into a thing. So send us your suggestions as to what my actual title on this show could be, should be, what you think it should be. Um, please do not hold anything back. If you want to give me a hard time, I'm game. <laughs> so come up with your best suggestions and send them to what what was it it's our uh, email body yeah, language body language tracy, tracy at gmail.com yeah tracy spelled with an i mm -hmm. body language tracy at gmail.com and, and alex uh, checks those he will not let me check the email ever so. <laughs> for good reason mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're crazy this is your time we are giving you time mm -hmm. to this email is your us. opportunity yeah. yes <laughs> so send us your best and and, and uh, the ones that we really like we'll give them a shout out here on the show Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, uh, but today, you know, who's on the show, Dan Goodwin, who, who is, is Dan? Uh, he is an investigator and he, this is, he is really something. He worked on the Oklahoma city bombing mm -hmm. and the nine 11 attacks and also hurricane Katrina. And so he has got some stories that are pretty crazy. So he must be, uh, with the feds. He, uh, you know what? I don't think so. You know who he's with is, is the, um, telecom industry. The telecom, and so he's like a consultant. Uh, he's an investigator for telecom. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, mm -hmm. that's interesting. So, do, huh? I would just just based on your description there, I would assume he was somebody involved in law enforcement uh, at some level, but he's a private entity. It sounds like. Uh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he's he's hired. He's not he's not in the public sector. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he is. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a so, private investigator, basically. Well, well, yeah, sort of private. Yeah. Does, not, does he not, have a trench coat and a, and a fedora? He should get a hat. He, he would look good in a hat. Absolutely. I mm -hmm. think you should do this entire interview in the fedora and the trench coat. Well, it's too late now. <laughs> it goes along with our show music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Dan Goodwin, and he was an investigator, worked on Oklahoma City and the 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. uh, that one sounds really good. Yeah. He's going to talk about some investigative techniques that we can all use today, like to find the truth. He's he's the real deal. Love, love Dan. Well, I've got my uh, magnifying glass ready to go. Okay, good. Let's get to Dan. It's Tracy, and today I have what I know is going to be a super cool interview. I got Dan Goodwin on the line with me with, uh, is it CYA Consulting? Is that it? That's it, Tracy. CYA, for your listeners, stands for Cover Your Assets in case they heard it differently, right? <laughs> now, here is why Dan is on. We got connected on LinkedIn somehow, and you were an investigator for Sprint, like the, the telecom folks and you have some pretty fantastic stories of the things that you had to investigate 
with the company and I and we were just talking just a second ago. I had no idea that you were involved with the Oklahoma City bombing uh nine one or um nine eleven investigations and also the uh Katrina, the hurricane. And and so let's get into some of that. Let's talk about the uh Oklahoma City bombing. Like what would Sprint have to do with with that? Well, okay, let's we're going we're going to go back in the wayback machine. So, yeah, so Tracy uh, during during the bombing, I worked for a subsidiary uh, called United Telephone Company, mm -hmm. which became a part of Big Sprint later. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, so the security group was heavily involved in that the uh, the principal players in that were using uh, payphones for their main method of communication along pay with phones. pagers. That's how they were communicating. What a and blast from we, the past, like payphones and pagers. Ex exactly. Well, and uh, what most people didn't know that even local calls uh, had call detail records for, for everything. So when uh, uh, Terry... Nichols or Timothy McVeigh were, were calling the other players in the plot, uh, we were basically able to track those. And uh, I had a co-worker that actually went and testified at McVeigh's trial, the federal trial, and then I went down and testified in the state trial for Terry Nichols. Yeah. Wow. So what was that like testifying? I mean, was it just a media frenzy you know, or what was it like? That was down in Muskogee, um, and by the time they called the telecom people in, I mean, I think we were just piling on at that point. Uh -huh. I was I was on the stand maybe maybe fifteen minutes, um, and they were just you know they were just connecting the dots and tying all the loose ends up to show that uh, you know he had been in communication with the other players in the plot. Oh, was he sitting right there in the in the oh, defense? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, this this was before you see a lot of these trials now that just used you know video, right? Yeah. They they bring them up in front of the camera in the jail or something. Mm -hmm. No, security was obviously heavy, tight, and he yeah he was sitting right there at the defendant's table. So, Did he seem yeah, affected was... by any of? No, no, no. I, I I doubt if one telephone company rep was gonna was gonna ruffle these feathers. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, like I said, I was just there to kind of pile on. I think I went right after the, uh, the AT&T rep because uh, uh -huh. there was a lot of long distance um, uh, phone card. Remember the prepaid phone cards way back yeah. in the day, the phone credit cards. So uh -huh. that was about the time, you know, they were coming into their own. So again, uh, it was the just, it's just the circus that was down there. And it was nothing like what happened at the federal trial, but it was, it was a little bit of a media circus too. Oh my goodness. Were you there like all day or was it a, uh... cause when, whenever um, I've had to testify, they tell you to be there and then you wait and wait and wait, and wait some more. Yeah. It was, it was hurry up and wait. It uh -huh. was get in the night before we're going to have a, a meeting with all the telecom witnesses, you know, at seven 30 and then uh, be on standby. And I think, um, I, I, I don't remember exactly. I think I testified right after lunch and then, mm -hmm hit the road to drive back to Kansas City. That was it. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. It. So so when you say there's record locators on even on the payphones, like what does that really mean? Oh, every call that's every call that went through the payphone systems that were owned by the telephone company uh, had to be had to be there was a record of them they had to be tracked uh -huh. so they were known how to how to be billed. So even if you put change in and kept feeding change in, mm -hmm. there was records. I mean, just 
mountains and mountains of the old, you remember the old 924 pin printers, the old green computer paper, green and white. Yeah. 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 That was it. <laughs> it was all like hexadecimal. <laughs> you really had to go look for, uh, oh, uh, you, you're bringing back things I talked in counseling that I got rid of. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, wow. Okay. So then what, what'd you do in the nine 11 investigation was the same sort of thing or what? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was called detail records. Uh, that's how telecom companies got involved, but it was a cell phone. So, uh, you know, the hijackers and the, the, the people involved in the plot were using, not just Sprint cell phones, but other cell phones too. Uh -huh. And again, they were, you know, coordinating their activities and, and, uh, you know, every, every record going through your cell phone is there's a record of it somewhere, every uh -huh. call. So now do you have, um, like, could you print out everybody's text messages if you wanted to, or how does, how does that really work with cell phones? Yeah. The, the text messages now just keep in mind, I've, I've been gone from Sprint for 15 sure. years, Yeah. Uh, but at the time, the records retention, if I remember correctly, was sometime some somewhere between 45 and 90 days. Uh -huh. I don't think it's that much now due to, you know, due to how many cell Volume. phones are in existence and how much, how many server farms you'd have to have. Uh, but that was on our side. Now, there's some three-letter agencies that probably had better records than we did. So, <laughs> Got it. Well, we've maybe. talked to some of them here on the podcast. So, so then you uh, did you testify or did you just help them find the right records that they were looking for, or what was your involvement in that? Uh, mainly organization and research. Yeah, uh -huh. I didn't. I didn't have to testify in 9/11. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm I'm trying to think. I think perhaps our our director did. Uh, I don't remember anybody, you know, having to go physically go to any. I mean, most of the people were dead from the. From oh, that's the right. Yeah. Um, but the co-conspirators. Yeah, they they were tracking those people down. And I, again, by the time you get to telephone records, I I don't know that they were intimidated or scared from telephone records. Probably not. Another, yeah. Enough other problems. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, how, how long would it did it take you to get prepped for or to get you the government, the things that they wanted in that kind of situation where you're like, uh, did, did you know, were they burner phones? Did you know who you were looking for? Or did you like, how do you start something like that? They, well, okay. That, I'm got, I've got to be careful here, but okay. yes, they knew who we were looking for. Okay. And they also had a good idea of what cell phones, I, I mean, some of that's public record that, uh -huh. you know, they were monitoring a number of those individuals before 9-11. They, oh, they were aware oh, really? of them. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. They were aware of them. I, that's come out in several public reports. I'm not, I'm not spilling any beans here, uh, but they knew who they were looking for and it didn't take long. I mean, when everything is is stored on a computer somewhere with your with your cell, you know, your cell records, mm -hmm. uh, it's just a matter of how fast can you get it downloaded in a format that can be ingested by the three letter agencies that were involved mm -hmm. so that they could do their own analysis on them. We weren't doing the analysis, we were just providing the raw data dumps, the raw cell phone calls. Oh, okay. Okay. So if they got a burner phone, how much harder does that make it for you? 
that does that that does make it because if you go pay cash i mean uh, the receipt can say mickey mouse right yeah, i mean right. It, you don't have to do any you don't have to pop any id or if you have fake ids uh, i mean and then if you buy if you're buying a dozen at a time uh, just like you know you see in the movies and then you're you know using them for one phone call and then you know crushing them in a million pieces right uh, it does take time to connect the dots there Oh, man. Okay. So then, okay, next big one, Katrina. What'd you do for Katrina? Oh, yeah. yeah. Hurricane Katrina, that was that was uh, just before I, I exited at Sprint. Uh-huh. Uh, Hurricane Katrina, uh, lots, uh, as people will remember, lots of infrastructure uh, failures down there in New Orleans. And, yeah. Uh, Dams broke and everything. Yeah. Everything was broke. Um yeah, so our group, our our investigative group, uh, there there were several incidents down there where our technicians were getting uh, accosted or assaulted or even shot at at some points. Uh, mm-hmm. Our investigative people were down there. Our security people were down there to to work with the locals and the feds uh, to make sure, obviously, that our technicians were safe. But everybody was based out of uh, those FEMA staging camps, uh, and. We had so I was I think I was the only one that did not get rotated into the area. I was here in Kansas City in headquarters in the war room oh. and we were pulling, you know, we were pulling 12 hour shifts for, I think, three weeks. I mean, it was 12 on 12 off, 12 on 12 off. Uh, and there were two of us basically back here at the office, uh, you know, making sure our people had the resources they needed running down things that they couldn't do from the field. So, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't sweating it out <laughs> down in down in New Orleans or Baton Rouge, yeah. but I was working hard here to support my my fellow compadres that were down there. Uh huh. Wow. Okay. So, what's your background? Like, how'd you get into this? You like you just didn't show up and knock on the door at Sprint one day and be like, "Hey, hire me." Like, well, how how what's your progression? So the progression is, uh, if you remember the movie from the 80s, uh, Michael J. Fox, Secret of My Success, I, I started in the mailroom. I really did. True story. Uh-uh. <laughs> yep. True story. Uh, I was in there about a year and then I got into the corporate security group uh, just kind of because I was ready to get out of the mailroom. Yeah. Huh? And I was a, I was a security assistant and uh, I was... Um, I was that's a glorified paper pusher. I would I would receive the legal demands for civil and criminal issues and then make copies of phone records that were being demanded and then return them to either the agency that subpoenaed mm-hmm. them or to the attorneys if it was a civil issue. So that's that I did that for about three years. And then I became an investigator. And then that's when I got sent to the to the school in Chicago. Oh, what school? Can you can you divulge? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the John Reed School of Interview and Interrogation Technique. And and Tracy, that's the same school that the feds and the states and the counties and the locals and the CID and some other foreign uh PDs, uh London Yard, Scotland Yard, you know. Oh wow. They send their stuff. Yeah, they send their investigators over their detectives. So, yeah, that was uh, it was very, you know, that that was really the start of uh, of my professional skill set right there. Uh huh. Wow. So, because I know, because we're talking a little bit about thinking like an investigator today. So, what was the number one thing that you learned there? I'm sure you learned just a ton, but what was the big thing that still is in your pocket today? Where you're like, yep, 
that's what made that worth it or was was there one or two things anything like that well the four basic skill sets it was obviously interview skills i mean uh-huh. uh, that that was part of it and then um you know how to gauge and well a little bit of sales a little bit of psychology and a lot of nlp neuro linguistic uh-huh. programming yeah, yeah i'm um, trained in a lot a lot of nlp okay so now i didn't know it was nlp uh-huh. at the time that i were going through class there was just uh, <laughs> it was just this is how how you engage and the the, the skill sets i picked up was interviewing skills a little bit of sales uh more psychology uh, you know, and then how to gauge truthful and deceptive behaviors, a lot mm-hmm. of nonverbal, right? Yeah. Uh, how to ask thought provoking pattern interrupt questions that goes back to, you know, the NLP piece. Of yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, how to get into rapport quickly with people and make them feel seen and heard and validated so that they would share information with you. I mean, sometimes even against their own self-interest, they would share. Sure. Well, you, let's, right? let's talk about the pattern interrupt. Um, because yeah. I, I use that a lot. And you, um, as as we were, you know, kind of getting uh, chit-chatting before I hit record, you asked about my husband who has herniated a disc in his back. And you asked, uh, and I actually use pattern interrupt with him because he gets, he'll, he'll, he'll keep going and go about injury, pain, pain. And I, and I will put, er, specifically cut him off in the middle and and start asking about something else that's that's positive uh so because if you because we all run in patterns just like for the listeners we all we all have patterns for everything that we do and if you interrupt that pattern enough pretty soon the interrupt becomes part of the pattern so in investigations how would you use that well, I will preface what I'm getting ready to tell you. Uh, the very first thing they taught us when I went to school the first day is they made the disclaimer that what they were about to teach us would not uh, would not work on our spouses. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so um, my favorite go to pattern interrupt question uh, is how would you know if that wasn't true? How would you know if that wasn't true? So I'll give you an example. Okay. Somebody comes at you with a highly emotionally charged position or belief. I mean, God, mainstream media makes it look too easy nowadays. Vaccines, mask, uncontrolled abortion, politics, pick your pick. And they come yeah. at you, Tracy, and they say, oh, yeah. well, this is why I believe my guy or gal is right and you are wrong. Oh, yeah. And so you just simply look at them nicely. I mean, you have to be in report to do this. You don't sure. do this with a total stranger, but you say, well, that's interesting, Tracy. How would you know if that wasn't true? And then <laughs> you shut probably up. just blows I mean, their mind. Well, it's a mind breaker. It's a pattern uh-huh. up. They have to take that, that thought out of their head. They have to hold it in their hands. And now they have to defend the opposite position until they can prove to themselves that they're on solid ground or not. Uh-huh. Now, if people aren't, Open. I mean, you've got to use that question with only people that you think are going to be open-minded enough to receive that, and you got to do it with a smile on your face. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can't. You so. can't do that threateningly. That's for sure. That is interesting. What kind of results have you seen from that? Just, I mean, if talking politics or in, in in anything, how does how's it worked for you? Uh, you know what? It has uh, the last two years, especially. It's it's helped people. Um, 
calm the adrenaline and cortisol dumps in their brain that, you know, your amygdala gets hijacked if you only respond with feeling. And, uh, you know, when cortisol dumps in your brain, it's about a 30 to 45 minute journey back to equilibrium. So you have to you have to really want to hang with that person and help lead them and just ask questions. So, you know, the young Dan, I would have told them and then told them all the reasons. And now the the more experienced life experienced Dan, I will lead them with questions uh, to help them figure out if that's a path they want to go down. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Other pattern interrupt questions. You got any on the tip of your tongue? This is awesome. Um, uh, you know what? The the other ones that's that's my that's really my go-to mm-hmm. uh, but i will i'll do what you do to your husband i will change the subject yeah. sometimes i will uh i will ask uh i call these test questions people say that you know you're lying to the person but uh-huh. i may ask a test question of uh let's say that they were in the building late at night something went missing piece of equipment uh-huh. we we caught them on some sort of camera or dv you know we're looking uh-huh. at dvrs and um i'm saying you know what time did you leave the building well about 8 30. oh wow 8 30. yeah there was a huge wreck uh down at the stoplight and uh, man i do you remember seeing all of those you know those fire trucks and the ambulances uh-huh. and stuff Oh yeah, that was terrible. Did you see did you see the green car that got just totally, you know, mangled around that that light pole? Uh-huh. And so, you know, it's a little sidebar, but it is a pattern interrupt, but it's a test because 10 minutes later I'm going to come back after looking through my notes and say, "Oh, you know what? That was my bad. That was the night before. Man, that's terrible. I'm so sorry." So now that that person has a decision to make uh-huh. uh, because what's a truthful person going to say, Tracy, if there was no wreck at the intersection at eight 30 uh-huh. on that night in question, what's a truthful person going to say? say? I didn't see it. Are you sure? Exactly. I don't know. You're crazy. I uh, I didn't like maybe, see it. Maybe like I went that. through ahead of that or. Yeah. 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 So here's, here's what deceptive people tend to want to be validated and want to appear helpful. Right. So they will typically, you know, this, you, yeah. you're fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they'll say, well, uh, Mr. Goodwin, I, I do not know anything about that. So they're, they're using, they're not using contractions. They're being very formal. They're leaning into the conversation. Mm-hmm. They're just wanting to be overly helpful. And uh, which is different from a deceptive person when, or excuse me, a truthful person, when you say, can you tell me anything about the $15,000 that went missing, Tracy? Mm-mm. Right. I mean, it's like, if you're accusing me, you know, you're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> well, yeah. And you know, what's interesting is I was just doing some study on uh, James Pennebaker, which I'm sure they rolled some of his uh, studies into, into what, what you have done too. Cause word, word count is super huge on, um, yep. On, because truthful people do and say the minimum that they need to do and say to get their point across. And, right. and people that are lying will say a lot more. Sometimes it's up to four, four or five times more. So uh, super interesting with those kind of studies. Cause, cause now we can, we can run them through computers and get really, really good counts really easily <laughs> of all yes. different kind of words, whether it's contractions yes. or pronouns or whatever. 
Yeah. And another thing I would do is after we got, well, the first, the first question. So the first thing we were taught at John Reed was you ask baseline questions. Mm -hmm. So we had a standard set of 14 questions, right? Your name, your title, your service date, your supervisor, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And, you know, people look at me and say, you've got the HR printout in front of you. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes HR can get it wrong. We just Uh want to make sure the computer's right. But what we're really doing is we're looking for the automatic autonomic responses, right? Mm -hmm. The truthful responses that are no-brainers. Because then when you get into the stress-filled questions, uh, that's when you start observing Mm nonverbals. Because I'm already observing your nonverbals. So anyway, so baseline questions. then the other piece of that is, uh, you know, you play Columbo sometimes. Uh-huh. We, by the way, we would never put the subject of the interview between, but we'd never put ourselves between them and the door. They always had the opportunity to walk. We're not oh. going to get charged with, uh, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> false imprisonment, right? Right. So they would get upset, mainly, mainly guilty people. Well, yeah, guilty people. Uh, innocent people would get upset, but they would they would they would hang in with us. But the guilty people, so I don't have to do this, and I don't have to, you know, I don't have to sit here and talk to you. And it's like, well, yeah, you're right, you don't have to. So they get up to leave, and I say, but you know, one more thing before you go, right? You can uh-huh. see Peter Falk doing this, right, in Columbo. One more uh-huh. thing, man. Uh-huh. One more thing before you go, <laughs> and because my my way to convince uh, probably half of them to stay was listen. Your side of the story is important to us Uh and it's important to the management team. So if you walk out the door and we can't get a statement from you, then we're just going to have to go with the facts that are already presented in front of us, because this is what we already know. This is Uh what we think we know. And we'd really like your help on this. Uh And one more thing, when I would prepare statements, I would always, well, 90% of the time, I would put something in that was totally opposite of what was said uh-huh. when they, so that when they reviewed it, they would find it. Oh, really? Yeah. Because then when they write, when they draw a line through it and they initial it uh-huh. and they change it to the correct, that proves that they read the statement. They can't say, I was coerced into this. I I didn't have a chance to read it. I oh, didn't wow. say that. So these are just little techniques. I'm probably giving away all this. All the investigators on the, on, on the podcast are going to hate me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we I, I think it's fantastic. And part of the reason I do this podcast is because I want to know, too. I want to know what what everybody's doing out there. So, um, no, we're going to keep going. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, so you got half of them to stay doing that, you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? That, that a whole good cop, bad cop, that's just a myth. Uh, uh-huh. But you see that in movies. I think, I think my boss at the time and I used that maybe twice uh-huh. uh, successfully. Uh, we, and we didn't do it. Th- most people. I, I mean, and I know the podcast people can't see me see me on the podcast, but you know, this is Tracy. I'm a friendly face. I'm <laughs> I can talk to people, uh-huh. and you know, I, I truly get empathy with people and truly understand that uh, 
they made a bad judgment decision, right? They right. they made they made a mistake. They they were told to do something by somebody in a position of power mm -hmm. that they thought was wrong, but they they didn't question it, right? So the the whole point there is the good cop bad cop thing is when my boss he did this one time and i i thought it was i thought it was brilliant because we were kind of at an impasse and he, you know he stood up and he was a big guy he stood up and slammed his notebook on the table it's like i am i don't believe a word you're saying uh -huh. i gotta go get some air i gotta go to drink of water so when he walked out then i turned to the individuals there and i said oh man this is not good he said what do you mean i said I don't think I've ever seen him this upset before. I tell you what, I mean, you, you've got to let me know what real, I mean, we know this happened. We're just, we're just trying to, we're trying to help you figure out the why of it, right? Uh -huh. to, to figure out the, the why it was, did, did somebody do something or so, you know, 10 minutes later, my boss comes back and I say, uh, Hey, and he's, you know, he walks in kind of stern and, uh -huh. okay, we need, I said, no, 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 wait, 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 before you go on, I, I think we've got this figured out now. Uh -huh. And then, you know, give him, uh, and it was all an act. My boss was sure. a teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh my goodness. So how, so you did that just a couple of times? Just a couple of times. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. And and Tracy, you know, I've I've kind of I've shown on on our previous meetings, and I've I've shown you kind of my my methodology, right? Yeah, so, I love that. I love your little chart of methodology. <laughs> yeah. So you know, before we walked out the door of or walked out of our cube uh -huh. back on the cube farm, <laughs> uh, you know, ninety percent of the of the research in the case was done. We knew the we knew the what happened, and we knew kind of the how it happened there may be a few blanks there but the why i mean that's really why you go out is you talk to the witnesses mm -hmm. and you talk to the to the subjects of the investigation to figure out why did you do this uh we just need to understand uh was it you know was it a system failure was uh -huh. it a policy failure but was it intentional was it fraud was it embezzlement was it direction of a you know of a of a manager uh -huh. so anyway well, you know, what's interesting is because I've been doing some work in Hollywood uh, on a on a TV show, trying to get my own TV show off the ground. And my writer, uh, she um, she's Emmy nominated for her work on uh, Law and Order. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Right. Amazing. Nice. And, and she goes, look, here's the deal. Stealing money, stealing anything is boring. It's boring. She goes, not a big deal. What is interesting is why the story behind oh. it and the why. So what is the most interesting why that you ever got to? Ooh, I've got something in mind. Let me process it real quick okay. and see if we can share it. <laughs> we don't want to get you in trouble, but you know, I like to bump no. right up against that line. And yeah. Well, I've told, you know what, Tracy, I've told people I've, I've forgotten more state secrets than I can remember at this stage in my Probably life. So, huh? Um, you know, I think one of the interesting cases uh, involved, um, it was a conflict of interest case. Okay. Uh, where um, an IT, and this is back in the free-for-alls, man, this goes back 20, you know, 20 years probably. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, we had a sprint was growing. We were right in the middle of the digital revolution, trying to get all those switches up to speed and all the bandwidth mm -hmm. up. And, you know, uh, so we had a lot of IT contractors on campus here in Kansas City and come to find out um, one of our IT managers who was in charge of some of those contracts, it, it appeared that there was some extra love being thrown his way, if if you know what I mean. Got it. <laughs> so, so, uh, so there was a conflict of interest in where there was possibly uh, some sort of a of a shell company be, had that had been set up that was receiving payments. So it was it was a conflict of interest. Sounds like Enron. So, well, yeah, I, I don't. It probably wasn't to Enron's level, but yeah, it was same uh -huh. same principle. Mm -hmm. So we um, we started pulling all of the uh, contractor account execs in for questioning to try to get an understanding of the relationship with mm -hmm. this one individual. And you know, when you call the five contractors, but two of them decline to talk to you unless they bring an attorney. I mean, that's a, a good indication that you might have something wrong. There's a message there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we pulled all it together and we said, well, you know, if they're not going to come in, we just have to go with what we got mm -hmm. and went over to the EVP of the IT group and laid it out and, uh, by that was a like at twelve thirty, mm -hmm. and by three thirty that afternoon on a Friday, uh, there were twenty five hundred contractors locked out of everything and told to get out, not come back. Project and that that was a very expensive decision because they are integral in the, in the pieces of the projects that were that were being you know that were being completed for the network. So, so you think all of them were dirty or was didn't it just matter it did to the evp it's like forget them uh-huh uh, because the other three that did come in there was there was some things going on probably not to the level that the other two that wouldn't come in uh-huh wow so. so then um what did you find out the why agreed uh, <laughs> that's a big one well, here, here's there's there are four things that I, I've got and I made this list. I might, I might have even shown it on the on the mind map that I showed you. But uh -huh. uh, there are four four main drivers for investigations. Um, mm -hmm. One is community. That would be the first one to be it to feel a part of a group. Right. To feel a part of a team community. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is doing it. So I'm doing it, too. So I'll be accepted or nobody cares. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, so uh, power. Mm -hmm. is yep. the second one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, positional power for the most part. Mm -hmm. And then uh, money yep. is, is the part. And then sex. Now, now you know, let's talk about that because I had an FBI uh, guy. And I don't remember if he was one of my trainers or not. Uh, but one of them said, look, here's the deal. All financial crimes, really all crime at all. He said it all boils down to sex. Well, that's Freud. And I'm not a Freudian, but Freud would say everything comes down to sex. That, mm -hmm. And that I, I would agree with 90% of the time, 80% of the time. But yeah, community, power, money, and sex. Mm -hmm. Yep. But you're right. Wow. Okay. Okay. So speaking of uh, money and power, you worked on a really big case. Uh, manipulation of stock prices before the shareholder meeting. 
<laughs> yeah. Tell yeah. us about that. Tell us about that. That's in the way back machine. Mm-hmm. Well, we got, so this is back when the, uh, when we were, when we were on the way from analog to digital. So this had been, oh my goodness, um, late nineties, early, early two thousands, somewhere mm-hmm. through there. I'm not sure. Uh, but we're getting ready to have a stockholder meeting. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, my, my experience on the local telephone division side before we got mashed into Big Sprint, mm-hmm. what we worked with a lot of uh, unions, a lot of telecom mm-hmm. unions, uh, IBW, International Brother Electrical Workers, mm-hmm. and the C, you know, the, the what, whatever the other ones were. And we had a great relationship with the union stewards because the union members would ask for representation if we ever called them in on something, mm-hmm. and which was fine. We didn't care. We were just there to ask questions. But we got word that the CWA, the Communication Workers of America, were going to protest the stockholder meeting. And we couldn't figure, and they always did a little bit because it was contract time, right? Every uh-huh. three years, they had to renegotiate. So anyway, uh, I called the union stewards that I've worked with in the past and said, Hey, words on the street and goes, yeah, we're going to be there. And so, you know, we had a friendly, we're protesting this and I said, okay, I get it. Okay. And I'll see you there. So we had, you know, picket lines and everything, uh-huh. but that was two weeks before. Well, the week before all of a sudden the stock started doing stupid stuff uh-huh. up and then down wild swings uh-huh. and we couldn't figure it out. Uh, because it wasn't that vol, it wasn't anything that hadn't been covered before. So, one of our security managers from Chicago flew in, and he and I holed up in a um, conference room for mm-hmm. like four days straight. Oh wow! And all we were doing was communications. We were reviewing emails, Sprint emails. Mm-hmm. And I was reviewing public records, so newspaper clippings, websites, internet hits. And before you knew it, I had this web of relationships that showed exactly where the pressure was coming from. So it was coming from other unions uh-huh. in support of CWA and IBW. And it was coming from uh, like uh, CalPERS, uh-huh. that's California, right? Uh, the Unite uh, Union in uh, Chicago. Uh-huh. Uh, and all of these pressure points, this big web of of interrelated news stories that showed movements that were related to institutional buys and sells of Sprint stock. Uh-huh. And so when I finally got all that stuff kind of muscled together, I ended up printing out this relationship map on one of those old um what's it, they call those big those big uh drawing printers. I mean uh-huh. one Oh that's yeah, yeah, the big, big ones. Wide, mm-hmm. Right. And so I printed it all out. So we we trotted up the Donut Dog and Pony show over to the C-suite offices. Uh-huh. Went, in, went in and um, laid, you know, taped that puppy on the wall. And we we're talking about all this research and everything. And, uh, you know, here's here's why this is and this is who's involved. You know, uh-huh. here's who's involved at the union level and the company level, blah, blah, blah. And they all looked at that and they said, oh, OK, thanks very much. Not a not one actionable item came out of that investigation. Uh huh. Well, because they all had stock, they wanted the stock to go up. Yeah, they didn't want it to go down, but they were like, uh, I I don't. It's like, 
I don't know how much resources we spent on that on that one investigation. Uh-huh. It was just interesting to me that we were able to connect all the dots uh-huh. and we were able to connect all the players. And we and just went on off. business. business well, you know what? I did my job. Uh-huh. It's not because they listen, there were there were investigations I did that nothing happened or I thought nothing should have happened and people got terminated or uh-huh. prosecuted or whatever. So, you know, I just, I was a good soldier, Tracy. I did my job. Well, they say the lower down the rung you are, the more likely you are to get fired. Um, th- okay. I, that's not necessarily true in my experience, uh-huh. but yes, it's easier to do it with less repercussions. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's always interesting to me. That's the the employment attorney attorneys at Sprint used to call me Spider Man Dan, uh, because not for my physical you know prowess, but <laughs> I would always uncover three or four more additional issues uh-huh. with each investigation, uh, and most of the time they were management issues, right? Human mm-hmm. resources stuff. They weren't right. security stuff, uh-huh. and they, they would, and uh, they would just uh, they would they knew that when I went out. Uh, I was asking the next logical question. Uh-huh. I wasn't just going to the edge to check a box and saying, okay, that's a good answer without saying, hmm, that makes me wonder about this or uh-huh. that. Uh huh. Um, so, because, well, there's always in, in any, in any like C suite kind of type of person that I talk to, they, they always say, you know what, you have to, realize how much you're spending on the investigation. Like at a certain point, you know, you've lost the money, you've lost your time, you've lost your resources and you're not going to get it back. And, and maybe not knowing how much is gone sometimes is, is cheaper than just knowing the full truth. Cause you, cause you can't get it back anyway. <laughs> so, well, yeah, my, my salary is the sunk cost. Yeah. Uh, and I would, I would disagree with that philosophy in that, uh, if y- you want it, you want to make sure that if there are any holes in the systems, uh, there is a future cost or a future mm-hmm. uh, lost benefit there, right? Uh, and we would have people dead to rights, and sometimes a word would come out: just go get this done, and then get back to your office. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there were, you know, this person has come on the radar two or three times. And we've never been able to really figure out the involvement. So mm-hmm. if you do find something, instead of going six feet deep to bury him, mm-hmm. let's go 18. Let's just make sure. Oh, wow. Because anybody that came up on the radar, if there were previous unsolved things that they were on the periphery of, we're going to, I'm going to ask that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if, especially if it's a pattern, if it's a financial loss thing, sure. if it's a sexual harassment thing, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask that question uh, because the possibility of litigation is is more should be more the concern than just trying to get everybody back to work. Because if somebody's had previous, let's let's use sexual harassment. Yeah. If somebody has had previous complaints. Uh-huh. And then uh, the current issue comes up and we're able to make that stick and the management decides to fire that person. All of a sudden now uh, you've got uh, somebody that may pile on that was a previous victim that didn't come forward. 
So now not only do you have the termination piece of it, mm -hmm. but now you have somebody coming and suing the company for past actions of that same person sure. who committed the same actions. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is interesting. That's an interesting take. And um, I wonder if people are more lawsuit happy now than they were. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it depends on the security they need from their job. If, if they're willing oh. to go, I think it would have to be a slam dunk. They'd have to find an attorney that really talked them into say, you've got a slam dunk case here. Uh -huh. right? Interesting. So. Okay. So, uh, what, what is one technique because I, I think we should have you back because I think there's just a lot to talk about here. But All before right. we before we go, what is one technique that because we, we've talked about a few uh, pattern interrupts and things like that and little body language things. One thing people can take home and use today, like to to help them get more information, right? Information recovery. Anything? Yeah. Yep. Stay in curiosity. Mm -hmm. Don't let that emotional don't let that a cortisol and adrenaline dump in and make you go emotional uh, so and that uh, again not working on spouses i'm kidding i'm kidding sorry <laughs> sorry babe <laughs> no, i am telling you for sure it works um <laughs> yeah, and then the the other thing that i would i would encourage people the way the one of the ways you stand curiosity tracy mm -hmm. is to say i wonder what they know that i don't know that is true what, yeah because it's easy as an investigator, for, for, for my purposes, I'm confident in my ability to turn up 90% of the info, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's the 10%, and it's the wonder. And if the other person that you're talking to is smart, they'll be asking the same question. Mm -hmm. I wonder what they know that, that I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, Because yeah, I already cool. know what I know that they don't know that I know, right? I mean, because uh, when, when you start uh, tightening the... Um, when everything starts closing in mm -hmm. and then they realize that my, here, here's it, here it is, Tracy. If I catch somebody in a lie uh -huh. or a misstatement or an obfuscation or whatever, however you want to call it. And I, you know, I'll let people lie 10 or 15 minutes and I'll go start knocking the bricks that they've been laying on uh -huh. the, you know, start knocking that foundation out. Um, and I will, if I like the person, I'll give them a chance to save face uh -huh. and say, well, what you just told me, Tracy, I think is in direct conflict with what we talked about about 10 minutes ago. So uh -huh. did you remember it differently? Because I, I need to understand. So you give people a chance. Uh, and when you have that first admission of guilt, uh -huh. psychologically, you own the, you own the rest of the conversation uh -huh. because now they've been thrown back on their heels yeah, and you, totally. you, you own them. That's, and again, NLP can be used for good or for evil, right? Oh, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have to use it for good. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing, CYA consulting, how people can get a hold or um, how people can get a hold of you. Okay. Uh, so my, my skill sets, I, I've moved from reactive investigations mm -hmm. to proactive work with companies scaling up, uh, you know, money systems, processes, people, mm -hmm. uh, my superpowers, people, I help mm -hmm. revet people that are going to 
stay and vet people they're going to invite for the next chapter. Mm -hmm. That has led to training on critical thinking skills for mm -hmm. C-suite level teams and business owners. Uh, and then that, that piece of it has now led to opportunities to speak on from a one-to-one -one client relationship to one-to-many. So mm -hmm. conference speaking mm -hmm. and uh, more training opportunities to get, get myself out there. Mm -hmm. So the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. That is the playground I play in 99% of the time. And it's Dan Goodwin, CYA Consulting. Uh, you know, I'm not a secret agent, <laughs> so I can be found on LinkedIn. You're not a secret agent, but you're just as good as one. So, Dan, thank you so much for coming on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I look forward to our next talk. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.